Today on the show, we have another author spotlight. These are a series of interviews I'm doing featuring one of the authors being published through our newly minted Lightbeamers author program. Each of them has written their story to be shared in our collaborative book called Elevate Your Voice. That is going to be published in the spring of 2022, and we are so excited over here. These author spotlights give you a chance to get to know these women a little bit better and to discover some of their own inside stories as they walked this journey with us to becoming a first-time author. Our program not only walks them through the story excavation and writing process, it also gives them a front seat view of the publishing world, as our goal is to equip and empower each of these women to write and publish their own solo books later if they so desire. As you can imagine, it's been a pretty transformational experience for each of our first-time authors, including myself. And we are just so excited to bring you their stories to the Inside Story podcast. And it is my great pleasure to bring these author spotlights to you. I know in each one of these stories, you'll find a piece of yourself. Hi, I'm April Adams Pertwee. I'm your host of the Inside Story podcast. I've been telling people stories my entire adult life as a broadcast journalist, video producer, and digital storyteller. These days, you can find me at Lightbeamers, where I'm building a community of women who are ready to step into their brave by sharing their story with the world. On the Inside Story podcast, I'm bringing you some of the best stories I'm discovering from both the women inside of my community, as well as from around the streets of the internet. Plus, I'm digging deep to share some of my own stories with you along the way. My hope is that these stories will help encourage you to examine your own story so that you can share it with other people. I have a motto at Lightbeamers. When we share our stories, we shine a light. So with that in mind, let's get down to business today and share the light found in this episode. Welcome, 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 friends of the Inside Story podcast, and welcome to all the light beamers out there. I'm so excited to be joined today by one of my dear friends and clients and newly minted authors from our Light Beamers author program, whose, whose story is coming out in our new book, Elevate Your Voice, coming out very soon. You know, we've been talking so much about that on the show. We have one of our authors with us today to spotlight her and all of her courageous work that she's doing in the world as a leadership coach and as an advocate for women in ministry, Miss Becky Burrows. Hello, my friend. Hello. I'm so excited about being here with you today, April. Well, it's really fun, Becky, because I happen to know that you are like one of the religious, regular listeners of the Inside Story podcast. I think you listen every Wednesday. You've told me that. And so now it's really fun to get to have you be a guest. Yes, that's what's fun for me as well, because I actually listen to it. I look for it as soon as it is out there, and I listen to it every Wednesday morning as I'm getting ready for work. Oh, I love that. It's so fun. Well, now you're going to listen to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> or not. <laughs> <laughs> no, you cannot skip this episode. <laughs> okay. I'll just be, I'll be oh, the one really cringing. Funny. Yes. Oh, no, it is always, you know, weird to listen back to yourself. But listen, you have, so, you're up to so many great things that it is, it's good to have you on the show because 
you know, you're one of these women from our community, the Light Beamers community, that's just really um, taking aim at something. Like, I, I see you and I have watched you grow and, like, catch on this real vision about what you're creating in your business. And, you know, I'll, I'll, some of that's being shared in the book, and we'll talk about the book here in a minute. But I, I really want you to just talk more about the work that you're doing in the world in general because... Um, you're a certified professional coach. You do a lot of leadership training, but specifically you, you point a lot of that leadership training to women in ministry. And, you know, a lot of that comes from your own experience as being a woman in ministry. So let's just start with your own background, your own experience, your own story about how you got into ministry, because I happen to know this came a little bit later in life. Um, and I'd love to hear how your life kind of directed you into this path. Okay, my uh, background is not in ministry. My training is not in ministry. I actually am a speech-language pathologist and did that for about 20 years. And I'm, I'm an education junkie, by the way. I cannot get enough knowledge. And so I went back to school and got certification as a school administrator, and I became a high school principal in a Christian school. And that's actually what I was doing when I was recruited to come work at a church. I have really been in leadership roles my whole adult life because as a speech pathologist, I had my own business. And so the things that I know are small business, nonprofit world, and ministry. I've now been in ministry for 15 years, but I really, through a series of circumstances, decided I want to spend more time pouring into other women. I think the older I get, the, the old teaching in, in the Bible of older women pouring into the younger, I'm like, well, I am one of them, so I probably ought to be doing that. <laughs> and so I did get the training to become um, um, a coach. And I chose to be a leadership coach because that is the bulk of what I've done. And I've chosen to yeah. work with women in ministry and nonprofit and small business because, again, that's the life I know. Um, as working in ministry, though, I became aware of what I call the underbelly of ministry. Um, there are, don't get me wrong, I love church, and I have always been a part of a church, even when I didn't work for one. But like any business there, and church is a business, even though it is a nonprofit business, it is still a business um, by IRS regulations, and so it has to follow certain rules. However, there's not a lot of regulation in churches. And so the things we take for granted nowadays in 2021, about to be 22, such as uh, equal pay for equal work and uh, no discrimination based on gender or, or ethnicity or anything like that, those things don't always hold true in churches because there's really no regulatory system. Each church kind of does what they want to do. So when you throw in... Uh, the patriarchal history we have in this country, and then a lot of theological interpretations that churches have, then you find that if women are utilized in, in the ministry world, they're often not paid near as much as their male counterparts, nor are they given the titles and the recognition that they are deserving based on their talents, their training, their education, and their giftedness. So I decided that's the more I learned about that, I could not be silent. I needed to not only share what I'm learning, 
but work to help these women to empower them to speak up for themselves because women in ministry, because they are working largely in a man's world, um, feel isolated, feel like they don't have a voice, feel like they don't have a place at the table where decisions are being made, they're not being paid as well, their titles are different, all the things. And this is not true in every church, but it's happening in a lot of them. And so I work not only in coaching with women in ministry to help empower them in their, their credibility, their courage, and their confidence, but I also work with churches to help them understand why it's important to utilize the giftedness of half their church. Yeah. I mean, that's what's so, and you and I have had some offline conversations about this because I, you know, in the process of uh, creating and writing in Elevate Your Voice, which everything you're talking about right now is just so encapsulate that message, Elevate Your Voice. Like you said, I can no longer stand back and be silent. And I want to empower other women in ministry to also use their voice to to not be okay with this, to not be okay with the fact that there is an income disparity, that women aren't being paid in inside these churches as much as their male counterparts, that the churches are overlooking half of their constituents, if you will, um, and going to them and seeking advice. And so they're not putting them on their board of directors or deacons and elders and things like that. And it's just, it's just, it's frustrating as women when we see that. And um, I have been frustrated by that as well. So I, I love what you're doing because I find it to be extremely important in the world um, of faith, you know, uh, in the world that we, in the community that we develop around our faith, that, um, that women continue to be recognized in that arena too. And you and I have had a lot of offline conversations about this because even in uh, part of what I'm writing in my chapter of Elevate Your Voice touches on this subject. And we'll talk about my story another day, but I, I have shared that with you. And it is something that I, I think not enough churches are talking about. And you shared a video recently in which... Um, a church, and I'm not sure if it was your particular church that you attend and belong to or the one that you work with or what, but there was a, seemed to be some sort of like consortium that was happening to where there was some lines of communication being opened and they invited you to come and share more of your story and give you, they gave you the microphone and you shared that video on Facebook and I got to watch it. And I think that was when I was like, we got to talk more because I, I was so excited, excited is not the right word, but I was, I guess, well, ready. <laughs> I'm ready to see more of these conversations. And I am so proud of you for leading this, like for being willing to be that voice and stepping out there and saying, this is not okay. Um, so I would love to know a little bit more of your own experiences. Can you give us a taste of, as a woman yourself inside a church, you said, you know that you're probably not being paid the same as some male counterparts and that they don't come to you and get your opinion as much as maybe you would like. I would like to hear more about what that's been like for you. Like, how has that felt? What does it look like? Like what's been situational? Um, and in some cases, when, when did someone, like I said, you were on that video and you got handed the mic, what did it feel like to be given the opportunity to share your, you know, share your voice? So this is the irony of my experience in that most of what I'm sharing, I have not experienced firsthand. I've experienced some okay. of it, 
because I was recruited to come to this church and they saw something in me and wanted me for this position that no other woman had held before in my church, I was always treated with respect. Plus, because of my age, and I can see how far churches have come, I probably tend to be a little more on the patient side saying, it's going to happen, sure hope it happens in my lifetime. But, and that's really hard for younger women because they can't see how far we've come and they're ready for the changes that need to be made, to be made now. But uh, even, for example, when I was first hired, my church, and that was the church where I'm working, the, the video that you saw, and I was invited okay. because... Um, the preacher at our church is very supportive of women's roles in ministry and, and really tries to do whatever he can to advance that. And so uh, when I was first hired, one of my responsibilities was contracts. And so I'm looking at contracts, and I went to the, the man who was my supervisor at the time, and I said, help me understand why this female children's minister in her 40s is making significantly less than the male youth minister in his 20s. And the answer I got was, well, we allow her to do the mommy thing. And oh, I said, my word. I said, okay, so you're saying she's part-time? No, no, she's full-time. Okay, so what's the mommy thing? Well, every day she leaves to pick up her children from school. So you're saying that's when her school day, her work day ends. Well, no, she works full-time, and she says she finishes her job at home. Now, this was 15 years ago. And... um I began to ask more questions, you know, and, and clearly she was doing all the things and her ministry was great. They just didn't like the fact that she finished her work at home. That was unheard of in those days. That was way before COVID. So, you know, I was I was armed and, and geared to do something about that, and she ended up leaving a few months later. So a few years pass, and I come back to, again, my supervisor at the time, and I said, help me understand why this male minister makes significantly more than the female, his, his partner. And I was told because he has a family and she was single. Mm. I said, no, no. Tell me it's because he has a master's and she doesn't. Tell me it's because he has experience she doesn't have. Tell me it's because he's a supervisor and she's not, but it can't be because no. the size of his family. And so that's when I realized I really needed to be a voice um, because churches are doing this, this good old boy system, especially here in the South, um, and there's no accountability because churches, uh, even churches that have a governing body, which, which not all denominations do, but even the ones that do, there's a lot of leeway within each congregation. But there are other congregations that have no governing body. Each church is autonomous, and those really do whatever they want. And so fast forward to today, our church is very different in their roles. Women are allowed to do, and I, I hate that expression, allowed to do, but uh, most everything, but not, not everything. Um, and so most of what I am learning is from the women that I'm coaching. And what I'm finding that really is disturbing to me is, and I, I can't think of a softer way to say this, but the women have become part of the problem in that they feel this call. One woman actually said to me when she was describing or, or explaining to me why she works for free. She's had this job in a nonprofit, in a, a religious nonprofit, not a church, for two years, was only paid for a portion of that time, and now she works for free. She said, God called me to ministry, therefore he must want me to work for free, in which I'm like, name any man who God calls to work for free. 
or any man who is willing to work for free. And, and then other women will justify their low salary by saying, again, because they feel the burden of the calling, well, my husband is an engineer and we can get by on his salary, therefore I, it must be okay for me to work for the... And so that's, why, that's what I mean when I say women become part of the problem. They have rationalized it in their heads and just accepted this is just the way it is. Other women don't know the disparity exists. I worked with a children's minister who found out she was making significantly less than um, a male in, in, uh, on staff. And when she questioned it, they said, well, you need to understand, you came in at a lower salary. So every year when we get cost of living raises, you'll always make less. And she said to me, I had no idea salaries were negotiable. They don't teach you that in college. And so it's just, there's just so much. There is so much, and I, I really uh, applaud you for even saying that it really is the women. Like, and, and, and I say this a lot, you know, as I've gotten bolder in my own voice, and this is, I think, one of the reasons why I even really wanted to write this book, Elevate Your Voice, because it was like, until we step up, until we say something, until we start questioning, like what you've done, and you've modeled that very well by going and saying, please explain to me how this works, because this doesn't make sense to me. We need more women like you, not just in ministry, but we need this in our organizations. We need this in our companies. We need this in our, even inside our families. You know, we need to be having these conversations with our, with our male counterparts. Um, because I think that until women start really questioning and demanding the equal side of things, it's not really the man's fault when that's historically what's been shown, how to do it, right? But until women start stepping forward, we are not ever even going to give men the opportunity to examine that. And a lot of times, you know, like your pastor is a perfect example of that. Clearly, his eyes have been opened, and he's become an advocate for women. And we want to give more men, you know, the opportunity to show that they can be an advocate too. And there are some But they'll wonderful- show yourselves, they'll show up real quick. Yes. But those who aren't willing to be an advocate will also show up real quick, right? And I think that's important. I know some wonderful men who they don't necessarily know how, but they want to be an advocate. After I did that video, I was contacted by a preacher in Florida who said, can I have your script? I, I'm trying to talk to our elders about elevating women's roles, and I, I want to know that stuff that you said. You know, you talked about how this... This idea is something that all women in, in any business really need to know, that, that ability to stand up for yourself. I call it owning owning your, your position, owning your voice, um, because people are not going to respect you any more than you respect yourself. They're not going to have any more confidence in you than you have confidence in yourself. And that's why I work with women a lot on credibility, which is how others trust you, and that really has a lot to do with how you present yourself. You, you teach that every day in your, in your storytelling. Um, and then confidence, we're, we're confident to do those things that we have either education or experience or expertise or giftedness in. We feel confident to do those things, but when confidence is missing, then we need to tap into our courage. And courage always has an element of fear. And so courage says, you know, I don't feel very confident. I don't feel very brave, but I'm going to do the thing anyway, even if I have to do it scared. And the beauty of that is the fear dissipates. As soon as you start doing that thing, 
you know, the, the boundaries of your comfort zone shift, because that's where fear lives, I think, is on the boundaries of your comfort zone. And you step over that, then the, the uh, comfort zone boundary adjusts and it shifts. And now your comfort zone is bigger and it just keeps going that way. And so the work that I do with women, because there will always be that naysayer out there that says you can't do whatever, but the women need to believe they can. They need to own it. They need to have that confidence. And when they don't have that confidence, tap into that courage. I feel a tremendous responsibility to all the women and girls coming after me because this generation yeah. of, of women who lead, women who own their own businesses, we're trailblazers. More than any time in the history of the world have there been women leading and owning their own businesses. And how we do that sets the stage for the girls coming after us. So I've gotten to where when I hear women, you know, talk about uh, what they're willing to accept, I say, okay, just so long you know, you're accepting it not only for yourself, but everybody coming after you. So you may be able to afford to work for next to nothing because your husband's an engineer, but what about the woman that's coming after you that needs every penny that's entitled to her because of her education and experience? Right, exactly. I, I think that is so important. And I, you know, you being at the stage of life that you're in, you know, the age that you are, you, you can say these things, right? Like it's, you have that, those years of experience. And I've heard you talk about, you know, the feeling, the, the responsibility of knowing that there's some, some 20 year olds and maybe even 30 year olds that haven't quite figured it out. And I think that's part of all of our journeys is that I've gotten bolder. I mean, I just turned 50 and mm -hmm. I'm celebrating that because I know that I have figured out over the years how to say things. And I definitely wasn't as, didn't do that as easily in my twenties and thirties. And, you know, I didn't have a lot of female role models other than my mom, but in my, in my career, I didn't have anyone really showing me how to negotiate for those contracts or how to do these things. And so I had to fumble my way through it. So the position that you're in now is so important. And I love that you're taking your coaching work into this, it, it, to this level, you know, that you're doing this um, and really teaching women how to do it for themselves long before they get into their fifties and sixties, because that's really when the trajectory of this whole conversation begins to change is when we have 20 year olds walking into their boss's office and saying, excuse me, this isn't going to work for me. Exactly. That's when things are going to change. You know, when we start to have really good, talented women show up and say, uh, 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 no, 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 no. Time out. I'm yeah. either, I'm either treated and paid exactly like him or you're going to have to find somebody else for the job and I'll go find, I'll go create my own job, you know? And I always say that you either get a seat at the table or you build your own damn table. Exactly. And that's, that's what I think women have to do. I, I could not agree with you more. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, you have had um, an incredible journey yourself though. And I know that this came out a lot in the story that you shared in Elevate Your Voice was this, um, this way that you do tackle fear. Um, and I'd love for you to share just a little blip. I know we want we want people reading the story in the book, so you're not going to share the whole story in the book. But there's a piece of your story that you write about in the book where you you came to a period in your life where you really had an identity crisis. Like everything about your life kind of got tumped upside down and all the content spilled out onto the living room carpet and you had to figure out how to put it back together again. Um, and one of the things that guided you, as I read your story, the, one of the things that I see that guided you was this quest 
to break through your fear um, and do things that you had a lot of fear around. And you created this sense of adventure in your life that I think has been just so fun to learn about. Would you share with the listeners a little bit about that story? Yeah. So as a child, I had a lot of fear. I mean, some of it was normal kid fear, but some of it was very irrational. And um, as I look back over my life, so many areas of my life where I didn't do what I wanted to do just because of fear. And I remember the first time I tried to conquer fear was the first semester of college. Um, in high school, I went to a small high school, and so there were many opportunities where I had to get up in front of other students and do things, make announcements, and lead, blah, blah. And I was always terrified to do it. And I decided, I'm ready to get over that. So I took a speech class. And actually, for the first time, had someone not only encouraging me, but critiquing me and helping me be better. And I, I learned so much from that. I took another and then another. Ended up taking every speech class the, co the college offered because I was determined to get over this fear I had of public speaking. Um, and since then, that just kind of sent me on a trajectory of battling the fear in my life and realizing how much of a hold fear had on me. So this identity crisis, which is exactly what it was uh, that happened to me just not that many years ago by my own doing, because I had placed my entire identity in all the roles that I, that I filled, all the titles I wore, wife, mother, um, you know, employee, daughter, all those things. And then all of those were stripped away just because of life circumstances. And I found myself not even knowing who I am, um, and, and what mattered to me, or how to be authentically myself. And so I began this quest of finding out who I am as I was grieving um, all the loss that I had experienced that I talk about in my chapter. And part of that was discovering I really have a thirst for adventure. I knew I had a thirst for knowledge, but discovering that I love to try new things, go new places, experience things I've never experienced before. I get a lot of energy from that. And so I started on this quest. It began the month of my 59th birthday when my son, who uh, he's a cardiologist now, but at that time he was interviewing for fellowships and he invited me to go with him to Hawaii for this trip. And we got on the plane. He turns to me and says, mom, I think you're adventure deprived. And it, it stung a little, which I think the truth often does, because I didn't really know what that meant. I had never thought in those terms before. And it also puzzled me that he knew me better than I knew myself. And he said, I have scheduled us to do a lot of adventure over the next couple of days. And so in two days, we, I don't know if I can remember all of it, we segued, we ziplined, we snorkeled, and we parasailed. And it was like adventure on steroids. And I, I came back realizing I am adventure deprived. But yeah, you can't sustain that level of adventure for very long. So I decided to keep a journal um, of fun, new, and interesting things that I'm doing. And my goal was to do 60 fun, new, or interesting things by the time I turned 60. And every day I would jot them down, just, just bullet points. And it could be anything from a new restaurant or a new dish or an interesting movie or any whatever I found to be fun, new, or interesting. And the most amazing thing happened. I discovered that whatever you're looking for is what you will find. And in that year, I didn't do 60 by 60. I did 600 by 60. And I got so excited about that. I thought, well, if you can do that, 
what are you going to do next? I'm going to do 7,000 by the time I'm 70. And I'm 65 now, and I am well on my way to doing 7,000 fun, new, or interesting things by the time I'm 70. It actually turned into more of a gratitude journal because I was writing down things I love, things I enjoy, things I appreciate. And the, and the serendipity of that is in, in filling my day with gratitude, I became joyful. And I think gratitude is the secret sauce to joy. And so it's just been an incredible uh, jumpstart to my to my healing and helping me through what I call resilient grieving, where I absolutely love my life now and I know who I am. And that's helped me to step into who I am and become a powerful voice that I would have been scared to do before. Oh, it's so good. And I love this, you know, 7,000 by the time you're 70 and that you're well on your way. I'd love for you to give just like, I don't know, something you wrote down in the last couple of days. Just give us a sample. Like, what do you remember writing down in the last few days that you wrote into that journal so, on your way to 7,000? Yeah. I, I don't know that I can remember the last couple of days, but I'll tell you some that have well, been the most monumental. Off the top of your head. So I love to travel. And so I went to Ghana, Africa last spring. So you might think, oh, well, she wrote down one. Oh, no. Every single adventure, every single new thing that was a part of that trip went down on the list. And it becomes a reminder to me of everything I did. Every new person I met went down. Every new dish I tried. Every funny thing that happened. And I go back and I look at that. And I'm like, how do I not remember this stuff? Had I not written this down? And a lot of people resist journals because of the narrative aspect of it. I don't like to write. These are lists. And the list triggers the memory. And so I, on yeah. any, any trip, I can log 150 new things on any trip easily because I'm looking for them. And I'm excited to write them down. But I'll do things like here in town, the quest for the best cheeseburger in Dallas. And so I'll get a friend and say, every Monday, let's go to a different joint and, and find a cheeseburger and let's rate it. And it just becomes something fun to do. Yeah. I love it. It's so, so good. It's so fun. I think that's something that any listener could take and make their own, you know, like that's, and I agree, like it does turn into a really beautiful gratitude practice because you are, um, you're, you're looking for those things. Like you're actually paying attention and it increases your awareness, right? Which I know. In the leadership coaching yes. that you do, awareness is so key and pivotal. And to mindset. Mm -hmm. Mindset, yes, which I always say awareness is really important to storytelling because, like you said, you don't have to write the story right then and there. You're just writing the note, the the, the list, the you know the, the, the thing, that the place that had the best cheeseburger. But then when you go back and you see that note that you went to that place that had the best cheeseburger in Dallas, you're suddenly going to remember who you ate that meal with, who joined you that day for lunch, or maybe you were by yourself, and all these other things get memory jogged, and those are where the stories lie, and then you can later go back and either share that story, tell that story, or just soak up that story for yourself, which is another piece of gratitude. I love that. For you, sharing the story, though, sharing this really big story that you have around a lot of loss and a lot of grief and the resiliency that you embraced, especially this, at this later stage of life, you know, you were, you were married how many years before? 41. You were married, because that's a pretty unique, very unique situation. An interesting note is that you were married 41 years when you went through a pretty devastating divorce and, and many other things that happened, not just the divorce. There were many things that happened during 
a short span of time, a span of time that led to a lot of loss in your life. But this was at a stage of life where you had built up those identities quite well. Like you were very solid in being the wife. You were very solid in being the mother and the daughter. You had lots of experience doing Mm -hmm. it. So what did sharing that story and writing about that story, revisiting all of those stories for the book, Elevate Your Voice, what was your experience of going through the book project with us? Like, what was that like for you? I I personally, I think it came at exactly the right time. When I first started working with you about two years ago, because I knew I had a story to tell, I just, um, I didn't know how, and I didn't know how what to do with the details. You know, when, you know, as we've discussed, you and I discussed before, Glennon Doyle talks about in her book, uh, telling your story through the scars rather than through the pain. And I would, I, by the time I met you, I was still very, very much in the throes of the pain. So all I could think about were what I call the salacious details of the divorce. Mm-hmm. But I didn't yep. want to tell those. I knew instinctively not to tell those, that they didn't really matter uh, to the story and right. and that's where you were so helpful and so I think mm-hmm. two years ago I would not have been able to be a part of this project but through mm-hmm. the work that I've done with you and, and in Light Beamers I realized that my story actually begins after my husband left and yes. what I did to get me back what yeah. I did which to is heal. like this whole story around being adventure deprived and yes. taking on this you know, 60 by or 600, but well, it was 60 by yes. 60, but it turned into 600. I'm an overachiever. 60, 60 yes. And, yeah. Well, that's okay. But yeah. So like, that's really where the story begins, right? It's usually, and if you follow my story arc, you know, that's really when it does begin because the before is just historical context, right? Yes. But the transformation comes after those those hard details in our life, right? Like it's the divorce, the loss of parents and other things, but it's really what comes after that when we find the true transformation. And so, um, your, you know, your story exemplifies that so well. And yeah, you were ready. You were ready to share the story because you Mm -hmm. had gotten through some of the processing. You know, you were no longer living in the wound of that story, but you were beginning to heal that story and, and, and could actually then tell it. And I agree. I love Glennon Doyle's analogy around that of telling the story from the scar, not from the wound. Mm-hmm. And so the process for you of writing the book, you felt ready? I, felt, I did feel ready, but it was more than that. Um, I had always dreamed of having of writing a book and certainly after all this stuff happened to me I thought some and people would tell me you need to write a book about this as they would watch my you know grieving process but I hadn't done a thing about it and when I when you invited me to be a part of this I knew instantly I needed to because I thought you know if you can't write a chapter you just need to give up the idea of writing a book and it was such a a safe environment to write this chapter because here here I am being coached by you and by Lynette Pottle, and I've got this team of other women. We're all in the same boat. We're all figuring it out together, and we're supportive of each other, and then we're given an accountability partner. So there's that uh, support on an even deeper level. It was I've been a part of a lot of groups in my life, but it was the most unique situation where I'm not only having all the wonderful things about a virtual group, but I'm producing a product as a result. 
And I am so proud. I have not read everybody's chapters, but I've read enough of them to where I am. I could not be more excited about this book coming out. Um, and I like the story that I told. You know, I want to say something about a fear for a moment, because I did talk about fear in my life and it holding me back. But fear also became a catalyst for me uh, because of, as I as I grappled with my identity and grappled with how am I going to deal with grief, how am I going to get past this pain, the thing that, that I was afraid of the most was becoming a bitter old woman. And I, I know women whose lives stopped the day their husband died or walked out the door. And I was absolutely terrified. I know how easy it would be to be that woman. It would be so easy. Um, but yet I was determined not to. And that, that fear did not uh, freeze me. It became this catalyst, kept me going forward. Uh, in the grieving process. But this book was just an instrumental part of that. And I absolutely cannot wait till it comes out. I know. I can't either. Um, I've been doing these author spotlights on the show. And it's with each one of you that comes on, I just get more and more excited. And, you know, I have read all the chapters and they are amazing. And, you know, but the fear is real, right? Like even mm -hmm. sharing your own story, did you have fear about publishing it in this book? If, if so, what sort of thoughts went through your head about when readers will actually read your story? Did you have any fear that came up or, or not? I'm, I'm curious. So initially, I think writing a book is very much like giving birth and showing your baby for the first time. And here's my new baby. Isn't she pretty? And you, you, you kind of vacillate between tell me the truth now and or don't hurt my feelings. And so, for example, one of the things that we were given to do was was to give our chapter to five friends mm -hmm. and get mm -hmm. feedback. Well, I did. And the first few friends uh, were very complimentary and very gracious. One might find a typo. Another might find a little, you know, something else. But I had two friends that printed that baby up and got out their red pens and made notes in the margin and then wanted to have meetings with me. And that was so incredible. I was afraid of it, but it was the thing I remember as being so impactful because they care about me and they want my book to, or my chapter, you know, to go well. And so every uh, constructive criticism that they gave me was for my own good and because they care about me. So I re it really helped the fear wash away because I thought, you know, it is what it is. I'm, I'm, I'm getting, as I'm getting older, I'm getting better and better about putting myself out there and being vulnerable. Uh, I do it for me. I don't do it to be liked by somebody else, but I do it because I need to do it. Uh, and I don't know how to explain why, but that's just what drives me. Well, it's part of the growth process, right? Like, um, and again, going back to women and, and some of the crutches that we hold on to, historically speaking, um, categorically speaking here, is a lot of us do live our lives seeking approval of others. And uh, we want to be nice and we want to be seen as pleasing and we don't want to be ruffle anyone's feathers and we hope everyone likes us. And going back to the beginning part of this conversation of how that might be showing up and preventing us from getting equal pay and getting the opportunity to speak and have people listen to us, that's one of the ways in which we stop ourselves mm -hmm. is because we're so worried about approval that we won't actually say what we need to say in order to get what we actually want. 
right? Yes. And so that's part of the process too. And so embracing constructive criticism, embracing opinions from our male counterparts and our bosses and whoever it may be is an important part of that process. And, you know, going back to the book, you know, getting that feedback actually was incredibly helpful. I mean, I went through the same process with you all and Yes, I give. I, I agree. I concur that, you know, there's a little bit of nerve wracking that goes on like, oh, gosh, I, I hope what I wrote isn't just junk, you know. Uh, but at the end of the day, the feedback that comes in is was so wonderful and helpful that it it not only validated, but it also helped you improve the process, which mm -hmm. really does help that whole growth journey just makes you be more confident going forward. So. Um, I'm glad that you felt that that was a good part of the process for you too, because the, I definitely felt that as well. You know, Absolutely. getting the feedback was huge. But yeah, like, you know, getting rid of that need to get the approval of other people. And like you said, doing it for you, you're not doing it for approval. Mm -hmm. You're doing it to satisfy a need in you, a desire to share a story, a desire to make the story matter. And be helpful, right? Because when we share the stories, we shine a light. That's right. Because we know, like, how many women are going to read this story, yours in particular, that they maybe are divorced and maybe they're still carrying around some sort of, uh, you know, grief journey that they haven't properly dealt with or they have some other form of loss. You experienced a lot of loss in your life in this particular time period. Um, and you talk about that, but it was, it's about showing how you navigated through it and really how your life really, the story really began after all of that mm -hmm. gives other women hope. And how many other women are going to read that story and be impacted by it? I mean, that's what is exciting, you know, to think about how that could help other people. Yeah, because I think the truth is we all go through periods of transition in our life. So whether you become divorced or widowed, whether you get fired or you retire, whether you never had children or you become an empty nester, we have to make adjustments when those things happen. And we have, and there's a grieving. With change comes loss and with loss comes grief. So we have opportunity throughout our lives to grieve and we need to learn how to do it. And, and really, grief has a purpose and we have to respect yeah. the purpose and trust the process. And we have a lot to learn if we grieve well. Yeah, so, so, so true. So I want to share, like, just, you know, like, what does your work look like? I know you do these um, leadership leadership boot camps, right, for mm -hmm. women in ministry. You talked about that earlier. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Cause, I mean, anyone that's listening that may be in the ministry world, um, that, that this whole concept of women in ministry, you know, learning to use their voice and elevate their voice to really have these conversations inside our churches is super important. Um, what do you what do you do inside these leadership boot camps with women in ministry? I so hear I, more about that. So I, I've been doing group and individual coaching with women in ministry for some time, and it is because of the things I was learning that I decided I need to do something to help these women. So I teamed up with a communication coach who also uh, is a minister. And she and I um, developed this leadership boot camp for women in ministry. And this is for women who are in ministry as a vocation or as a volunteer. Because what we learned is that women who are in ministry as a volunteer are even more perplexed because they're over here running companies in the world. And yet then they come in and they want to use their giftedness in church. And there's this long list of things they cannot do. And they're like, yeah. 
how does this even work? Excuse me? <laughs> yeah. And so we developed this boot camp, and what we do is we meet for uh, four, we meet on Monday night, for example, uh, four, four weeks in a row, two hours at a time for group coaching. Then we have these video modules that we have them watch on their own with worksheets that go with it, and then we do some one-on-one -on -one coaching in there. And we do it around the concept of building your credibility, your courage, and your confidence. We also give them communication skills and some conflict management training. Uh, and in the safe virtual community, uh, these women very often, as I've said, I think they feel very isolated a lot of times. You'll have a woman who's the only female on staff, has, has no one to talk. I coached a woman a year ago who was the only female minister in her denomination in her entire state. And she joined one of my group coaching programs. She said, I know I need coaching, but I'm here because I need friends. I am so lonely. And so uh, it's just, it's just it's real. Um, anyway, so that's what we do. We have another one starting up uh, in February, um, and it will start, I think, Monday night, February 7th. We limit the group to 10 women because we want to be able to give each woman as much attention as possible. And it's just a safe community that we try to create uh, to give these women support and encouragement and empower them. Well, I'd love to know, since you've written now this chapter in the book, and which isn't really about women in ministry, that's your story is something completely different. It's about, you know, this identity crisis and learning to live into your adventures. Uh, but you have become much more of a stronger voice in this space of women in ministry, um, leading these boot camps, doing this work, listening to other women's stories, you know, and again, like you're now being invited to come into conversations with men pastors and men inside religious organizations. And they're, they're asking you, they're asking you um, to share your experience. How do you see how, when you think about elevating your voice next, what does that look like for you? Yes, for you personally, like when you look ahead, we're recording this at the end of 2021, it's December. Um, so what what might we expect from you in 2022? Like, what would you love to do to elevate your voice even more in this arena? Well, go I ahead not, and say it. Let's claim it back. Uh, Come on. I did not know you were going <laughs> to ask me I see you this. wiggling. <laughs> yes, because I know what I'm going to say. And I didn't plan on saying it. So I met with um, Lynette Pottle maybe about a week or so ago. She's the publisher, you know, that's that's helping us with our book about a book I want to write. It's actually a series of books I want to write in 2022 and about women in in leadership, in ministry. And I want to write them, write them as parables um, mm. with coaching principles in there. And so I'm going to begin by doing some research. And so what I really, really need is to connect with women who are willing to either take my survey or, or meet with me virtually so I can ask some questions. Because here's the thing. Most of what I know, I know from the women I've coached. And there is a confidentiality to coaching that I will not breach. And so, and yet I've heard the same stuff over and over again. And if I'm hearing it from the women I'm coaching, then other women are experiencing it too. So I want to begin with a period of research and gather all the data. And I have this vision that in my book, in the, in the, uh, in the preface, I'm going to say, I wish I could tell you this, these parables are completely made up. Unfortunately, I have done research on this many women, and here are the stories. Um, 
but I'm hoping to be able to create a series like that and then use it to work with churches on how to elevate the voices of the women in their church. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, my gosh. I will I will buy every book you write, Becky. Because <sighs> this is amazing. This Thank is amazing. You. Okay, I want to ask you a really pointed question, um, okay. and I think you're you're, you're I, well, I'm not going to preface it. I'm just going to say I'm going to ask you a very pointed question. What is your response to people who say God does not call women into leadership inside these churches? They do. God doesn't call pastors, and God doesn't call or God doesn't call women pastors, and He doesn't call women elders. What is your response? Because that's a theological. Uh, sticking point and that's where a lot of these churches hang their hat and there are some churches who are not going to change their theological perspective but even those churches um, have a responsibility to love as Jesus loves and uh, it was Jesus himself that said that because he's now come there's neither Jew nor Greek there's neither male nor female there's neither slave nor free but we are all one and we're all image bearers if I am made in the image of God, that means he has given me all possibility to be whatever as a man. That's why we see women doing anything pretty much a man can do outside of church. So if women have the intelligence and the giftedness and the education and everything that it takes to be successful outside of the church, what is it about holiness that all of a sudden women are excluded? What is it about church that we draw that line? And so there are some churches that are not going to change their theological perspective, but there are things they can do. There are ways that they can empower women, even within the constraints of their theology. Of course, my perspective is that I, I wish that churches would, would value women the same way they value men. And the problem, as I see it, is that so many people see leadership as power. And they don't want women to have power. Men don't want women with power. Honestly, I think leadership is about responsibility. And women have already demonstrated in their ability to manage all the things that they manage, including home and children and business and husband and everything, that they are responsible people. And I just believe as image bearers, we ought to reconsider uh, that God shows favoritism to a particular gender. And, and not to the other, because I just don't see evidence. If you look at the life of Jesus, I do not see evidence of that. Well, I think that that is very well said. Um, I have really, you know, grappled with this uh, question because I've been faced with churches that, um, you know, that don't elevate women inside the organization of the church to be at a place of being a pastor or a leader or, you know, an elder, deacon, those things. And so... Um, I find this topic just absolutely crucial and necessary and important for all of us to be having, especially inside our communities of faith. Uh, but this conversation bleeds outside of faith as well. Like we need to be looking at this inside, as I said, our, our organizations, our companies, our culture, um, our homes, our families. You know, I have a son who is showing very prominent interest in the ministry. And it's wonderful. I'm so proud of him. And we'll see how that develops. But at 16, he's already professing that he wants to go into ministry. And I think about my daughter, who 
um, has not expressed interest in that, but what if it had been my daughter that expressed interest in ministry? What would that look like for her? Exactly. You know, because it's my son, I'm like, oh, great, go. You can go do all things. And I am so excited for you. But had it been my daughter that came forward and said, Mom, I want to be a minister, I would have a very different response um, innately because I know what I know. And I've experienced what I've experienced inside my own communities of faith. I've experienced it from the standpoint of having being around people who celebrate women and lift them up and elevate them to the status of pastor and elder and all those things. And I've been around it on the other side of things where they don't. And my experience of that has de definitely shaped, you know, my uh, uh, my voice a lot over the last couple of years and certainly has shaped a big part of the chapter that I wrote in this book, Elevate Your Voice. And it definitely has got me thinking now in my own family what mm -hmm. this looks like, you know, with had that been my daughter. And exactly. maybe it will be my daughter. I mean, I don't know. She's only 13. Who knows what she'll do? She may come forward and, and say that she wants to do that. So it's a very important space that you're in, Becky, and I'm really proud of you, and I'm honored to know you, and I'm glad that any part that Lynette and I got to play in, in cultivating that voice and, and empowering you and equipping you to go on and write these other books, I'm just thrilled. I'm thrilled about. And I know that the women that walk through your leadership boot camps and the women that come through your coaching, the other churches that are going to invite you to come speak on this topic, um, they're all going to be blessed by you. So thank you for your work. Thank you for your work. Thank you. I appreciate your encouragement so much. So let's give everyone a quick way for people to find you. I know you have a, a free resource that you wanted to share that's a great download that people could get started. Um, talk a little bit about that, and we'll link it up in the show notes so that everyone can, can find you easily and reach out to you if they would like to learn more. I do. I have developed this free guide that I call Uncovering Your Ideal Leadership, and it's basically a self-assessment divided into uh, credibility, courage, and confidence, where you answer the questions and kind of figure out um, where you're doing pretty well and where you can use some work. And so if you'll go to, I'm on Facebook and Instagram, Becky Burroughs uh, uh, Coaching, and it's B-U-R-R-O-U-G-H-S, Becky Burroughs Coaching. Also, you could email me, hello at BeckyBurroughs.com. And I will send you the free guide. If you go to uh, social media, to Facebook or Instagram, I've got a link in the bio that will take you to where you can either get the free guide or if you already know that you would love to be a part of the leadership boot camp, you can get on the waiting list because we are accepting people on the waiting list right now. It does fill up very fast. And so the people on the waiting list get advance notice when we're about to open registration, and that way they can register before it's open to the public. So both of those links are in the bio, and I would just love to hear from anybody. Um, if someone would like to be a part of my research and you'd like me to send you um, the um, uh, survey or want to be interviewed, email me, hello at BeckyBurrows.com. I would love to hear from you. And all of that is going to be in the show notes. So click the description in the podcast player and get the show notes. This will also be linked up on our podcast page at lightbeamers.com. So you can um, find it there as well. So thank you so much, Becky, for your time today and just for sharing so openly uh, what you're doing in the world and the work and the voice that you are being 
um, in the world and the work that you're doing. I'm just, oh, I'm so excited. I'm so, cause I, I, I want more women like you. I just oh. want more. I, and I want to be like, I want to continue to be like that, you know? And so you're, well, um, you're just very, very inspiring. Thank you. You have had a tremendous influence on me for the past two years. You have been my coach and my strategist, and I owe a lot of my newfound courage to the work that I've done with you. So thank you very much. Well, it is all my pleasure because getting to work with women like you, holy cow, that's like the best. And getting to see what you're doing in the world, it just, um, it really fires me up. So I am a I'm equally blessed by the opportunity to get to work with you. So thank you so much for being here today. I, for the listeners out there, I hope that, um, you know, something we said today sparked something inside of you. If you want more information on our author program, we're going to link that up in the in the show notes as well. Cause we will be doing producing two more books in the year 2022. So you may want to write a chapter like Becky did and then go on to write your own books or find that voice inside of you that needs to be shared with more people. We would love to encourage you on your journey. And we will be back here next week with another episode of the Inside Story podcast. Don't forget to go out and share your story today. When you share your story, you shine a light, my friends. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to give it a review and share this broadcast out with your friends and family. Now, did listening to this episode make you think more about your own story? Are you wondering which parts of your own story are relevant to share with others? This is the question I get asked more than any other. How do I share my story? Which parts of my story are worth sharing with other people? How can I make my story relatable so that others can benefit from it? I've taken my simple process that I've used for years as a journalist and broken it down into a three-part storytelling formula that will help you discover the key components of your own story and how to share it. It's a free resource I've created to help you become a light beamer by sharing your story. Simply go to www.lightbeamers.com and click on the big yellow button on the homepage to download your story formula. I'd love to hear your story too. So be sure to join my free community on Facebook, the Light Beamers community, and share your story with me. I can't wait to learn more about you and the story that's inside of you. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you can get notified when our next broadcast is live. You will want to stay tuned to the stories we are lining up for you next. I promise they are so good. As always, Light Beamers, I'm over here cheering for you. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.